Welcome back um, to the Top Shelf, hosted by yours truly, Abby and Kendra. So let's crack open a can, take a sip, and let's get into it. I am so excited for today's podcast because we actually have a special guest. He's the owner of Paddled South in High Point, North Carolina. Um, we actually got to go visit the brewery last week and got to try all the different beers which was amazing and just see how the beer was made and he actually invited us to go brew some beer with him so we're excited yeah it was so cool i personally am not a big beer drinker but it was really nice to like um try every single one of his flavors and different types and the lights and the dark he really taught us a lot and um we hope you guys love it okay guys today we have dave nissen um so Dave, he's from Paddled South um, Brewing, which is in High Point, North Carolina. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are. Okay, um, <clears throat> I'll try. <laughs> um, again, Dave Nissen, I've been in High Point since 1999. Moved here from Minnesota, followed my wife down, and uh, have two boys, 18 and 15, and been brewing for about 15 years. How did you get into brewing beer? Let's start there. So um, about 15 years ago, about the same time that I kind of got involved with beer, a buddy of mine was a big craft beer enthusiast, and he introduced me to Foothills. And um, after kind of digging into the different types of craft beers, I thought I surely can make this cheaper than buy it because it's pretty expensive at the time. Mm-hmm. And so my wife got me a little one gallon starting, you know, brewing kit. It was just a cheap plastic piece of shit. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I made an amber ale with one of my best friends. And we got, I think, eight bottles out of it. And it took us six hours for eight bottles. So the return was not very good, but... Um, after we did that, I realized I, I really like this. I, I think it's really cool. And I immediately jumped from, you know, a little one gallon to five gallons and then to 20 gallons within a year. Wow. That's awesome. Um, with that, how did it, you get um, to the place you are now, like opening your physical store and starting canning, things like that? How did you get to that? Yeah, so it was a long time in the making. Um, you know, initially it was just, I like beer and I like to drink beer and um, my friends like to drink beer. And it was one of those um, I'd have people over, we'd hang out on the deck, we'd drink a few. Uh, and the more we did that, the more people were saying, you know, have you considered selling this? And I had always wanted to be um, a business owner and out on my own. And I've, I've done many different jobs over the years, but at that point, I thought, you know, maybe I could do this. And at one point, I had as many as eight kegs sitting in my barn. And, I mean, I had to share it. So I started just giving it away. And the more I gave it away, the more people were saying, you should sell this. And I just found that as just kind of affirmation that I should probably go ahead and jump in. And at one point, my wife said, you need to just do it. I don't know what you're waiting for. Just go ahead, you know, and jump in. I'll, I'll do whatever I can to support you. So she was really kind of the catalyst or the impetus to mm -hmm. push me ahead. 
So I saw that you opened in 2020. Can you talk a little bit about how the pandemic kind of like affected you opening your business and um, how you adapted and stuff like that? Yeah. So um, we actually opened in 2021, um, May of 2021, but the pandemic still definitely affected us. Uh, We actually started the process in 2019 and of course then 2020 hit and everything kind of came to a screeching halt. We, um, we really didn't know if we were going to be able to get open. Um, the banks kind of just stopped lending and the government was giving money to businesses that were in business just to try to prop them up because of course everything shut down. So um, about August, I guess, of 2020, our bank finally came back to us and said, here's your money. We're ready to go if you guys are ready to go. And at that point, we started. Um, I mean, it was, it was an amazing process just from the standpoint that everything took longer. You know, like a garage door coming from the Midwest took six weeks, eight weeks, where it should have been a week. Um, you know, they they were having problems with staffing. You know, people were getting sick. They would send everybody home or shut down a factory. So we felt a lot of that here locally as we were trying to get up and get moving. Um, the day or the week of opening, they dropped all of the restrictions. So no mask. Um, no cap on capacity. It was 50% capacity. So we were able to open no masks, masks, hundred percent capacity, um, no holds bar, basically no pun intended. And it was, I mean, it worked out well, the timing worked out well, but it did, um, create issues as we were going through the process. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you definitely got lucky with it being we able to be open at full capacity. Um, kind of going into that, I know we were able to visit you last week um, at your um, business, but could you explain to our listeners how you brew the beer? Yeah, so um, it's a multi-step process, but I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, grains go into a large vat called a mash tun, and we put hot water on it. And basically the idea is we start to kind of cook the grains a little bit, which release the sugars. And over about an hour process, the sugars are released. And so the starches convert to sugars. And then we move that over to the kettle. And in the kettle, we hop. We, we may do other additions in the kettle itself. We boil it to sterilize it and to also concentrate those sugars a little bit. And then we move it over to the fermenter. And the fermenter basically is where the magic happens. We throw the yeast in there. The yeast eats up all the sugar. Byproduct is alcohol, which is what everybody wants. And then we uh, basically carbonate it and package it. So that's the short version. The brief version. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, when we visited, we got to try all of the flavors offered, yeah. and um, you were talking to us about all the different additions. Um, so can you maybe talk about some of your favorite flavors, and uh, not flavors, but like your additions that you've been able to, or different kinds, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think all of you tried, I think, the majority of the beers. Um, 
we add just about everything. A fruit puree, uh, we do uh, peanut butter, we do different dry hop additions to give different citrus, piney flavor profiles. Um, we've added blue agave into things. Uh, what else have we done? We've done just about everything. Um, sometimes extracts, uh, just to get a, a really good punch of a flavor profile. But we generally use real fruit when we do fruiting. We tend to lean away from extracts because they don't necessarily taste authentic. So, you know, and the, the great thing is you can actually add just about anything to beer. You know, you really can, mm-hmm. and not that you should right. necessarily, but you can, and you just have fun with it. And at the end of the day, if people like it, then, I mean, that's what you're going after is people to drink the beer mm-hmm. and of so course it, make some money. So is it all experiential? Like It really is. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's tried and true recipes where people have done things over the years and kind of refined them to a point where you can pretty well guarantee it's going to be good. But I think the the big thing is to separate yourself from every other brewery, you have to be more experiential and uh, try different things and be willing to take it on the chin every once in a while and have something blow up in your face. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you want to do that because you may not necessarily know how uh, two hops may play together in the resulting beer or how two fruits may play together in a certain beer. So yeah, the experimenting part is a lot of the fun part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually remember last week you said you, you didn't want to at the start make seasonal beers, but then you kind of <laughs> got into that. Can you talk a little about what the summer seasonal beer is going to be, or if you know that yet, or just. Yeah. Um, like I, I talked about with you guys last week, I'm, I've never been a seasonal brewer and mm-hmm. I was kind of, that was forced on me because people would come in and say, oh, what kind of spring or summer beer do you have? Um, but summer beers for me usually are uh, fruited wheat beers. So the, the fruits that you can think of for summertime, you know, strawberries, uh, late, late summer raspberries, blueberries, those will all be playing um, a part in the brewery. We're actually making a blueberry lime sour um, in a couple that weeks. Good. Yeah, so I, I think that'll be really good. Um, we did a strawberry wheat beer a few um, years ago, and that was, I mean, we used, I think, 300 pounds, 250, 300 pounds of fresh strawberries. Yeah, that's crazy. And, um, you know, again, fresh fruit, you get the authentic fruit flavor. So that's as far as summer, spring, summer, fall. And then, of course, pumpkin spice in the fall. Everybody is waiting for pumpkin spice <laughs> to come out. It's every, earlier every year. Um, and then uh, winter warmers, kind of higher gravity in the fall, winter months. Has there been... Um maybe an experiment we'll say that you've tried where you like made it to the end and you were like, why did I even do that? That was, that tastes so bad. Or like you scratched it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think, um, probably the most recent one was a fig and mango. Uh, it was a dark sour IPA. 
So there's a lot, a lot of stuff happening there, <laughs> a lot of flavor profiles. And the figs came from my front yard. So we made it the first year. It turned out great. It was a crowd favorite. And then I'd, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to throw more figs in. I'm going to treat the figs a different way and try to get more sugar. And um, when we were done, fermented out, I packaged it, tried it, and it was horrible. <laughs> it tasted like metal. You know, and or, I mean, there's no rhyme or reason as to why that might have happened. Um, you can always guess, but you know, when you are playing with different flavor profiles, you you don't really know, especially with nature. You know, if uh, pulling figs from the same tree, but two different seasons, you know, different weather, everything can affect the flavor profiles. So you may think you're going to have a dynamite beer and it is horrible and you end up dumping 100 gallons. Yeah. yeah. Um, so on the other hand, just what has been your favorite or, yeah. Um, favorite beer that I've yeah, made? Yeah. Ooh. Your favorite, like, concoction. <laughs> um, good word. Uh, so I would say, I mean, most recently cold IPAs have come onto the market um, or are getting legs, I guess. Um, which is, it's an IPA that's fermented at a lower temperature. So there's nothing really terribly fancy about it. But um, what I like about that, that's that's my current favorite, is the uh, fruit complexity behind it. And that's all from the hops, which is really cool. So with um, that, that um cold IPA, you just get a lot of grapefruit, tangerine, citrusy, almost a candied citrus flavor profile. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's really good. Um, I think what I like to do most is try the same base with a bunch of different types of hops and just see how it turns out. Mm-hmm. So you keep one constant and then you know throw in different types of hops, different combinations of hops, different times in the kettle or amounts during the fermentation process and you know you get you get a lot of different beers that come from it just by varying the hop profiles and the timing of those hop additions. Can you tell us like a little bit what hops are? <laughs> yeah, so I mean it's <laughs> It's a good question. I, I don't, I would assume they're a vegetable. They don't have seeds in them, mm-hmm. but they, they're a vining plant. And um, if you have a chance, you should look up some hop farms out. And the biggest ones are out West and like Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're a fascinating plant because most animals won't eat them. Uh, you know, like you can have a bunch of sheep grazing and they won't eat your hot plants, but they'll eat everything else around it, which is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they flower and they bud and they're kind of the shape of a cone. And actually I have, <laughs> ironically, I have hops on my shirt. Yes. Oh, I see that now. So, <laughs> I did yeah, not notice that the, before. Uh, the viewers can see that uh, yeah. or the listeners. But, um, you know, so they they do come back every year. So you don't have to replant, but you do have to take care of them. I'm, they are susceptible to diseases, but for the most part, yeah, that that's the easy yeah. way to describe them. So you said you get the figs that one time you came from your yard. Mm-hmm. Where do you get the rest of your ingredients, including like the hops? Yeah, like the where fruit. do you source that from? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, 
a few different places. The fruit puree that we get comes from a septic. That was a nice little plug for them. Um, and they it already comes uh, pureed for us, and it's usually liquid form. Um, some some of them are a little bit thicker, and like bananas, it's, you would imagine banana puree is pretty thick. But um, the hops, I get them from multiple places, Michigan, Minnesota, um, Washington, uh, there are some hop farms local as well. And believe it or not, uh, Minnesota is actually really good for growing hops. So it's pretty cool that you can get hops from all over the country mm-hmm. as well as all over the world. Mm-hmm. And grains, same thing, uh, locally, Canada, as well as Europe. Yeah, and when you were in college, did you ever see yourself owning your own brand company? <laughs> no. Um, and not, and not even close. Yeah. I mean, if you would have asked me 20 years ago, where, where would I be? I would never have said, you know, in a brewery, you know, making beer and doing podcasts about the brewery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is working in your own brewery different or owning and doing the whole thing for your own brewery, is it different than what you made it maybe expected before opening it? Or is it like that much work that you thought? Is it more work than you, you know what I mean? Like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, the short answer. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's what I expected, but it's also very different from what I expected because I had never owned a business before. So there was, I could only go by what I've seen and read and observe from, you know, businesses around me. But um, I think there's definitely some things that lined up with what I thought it would be. I knew it would be a lot of work and I was prepared for that. Um, I also knew there'd be, it'd be very rewarding, but also nerve wracking because, you know, you create a product and people enjoy that product, but then you have the other side of it where you've created a product and people don't enjoy that. And with social media now, you know, they can go out and pretty much tell everybody in the entire world mm-hmm. about your product. So, you know, it's, it's very, um, it's your private life and what you put your heart and soul into is bared for everyone to judge. So I think that was the part that I didn't realize yeah. was going to be so hard. And my business partner and wife, and friends have said, you can't read reviews. Yeah. So they basically banned me from <laughs> Google reviews, Yelp, you know, all yeah. of those things, which actually is probably my saving grace because if I read everything, I probably right. wouldn't want to brew, yeah. you know. Yeah, and going off that, um, I know you host events every single week. Can you tell us a little about your favorite events or what you do host so people can come out and join you guys for those days? Yeah, so um, Tuesdays we do trivia, which is a lot of fun. Um, Six rounds, and it's usually a general knowledge round, and then there's uh, just, you pick it, you know, music's from 1982 or whatever. Um, It's a lot of fun. There's rounds where you're given a piece of foil and you're told to make something with a theme. So they might say, um, you need to make something that has to do with Japan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to create this out of foil, which is a completely random thing. But it's pretty cool what people come up with and what they make. Um, 
it's a good way for the community to just come in and hang out together for an evening and have a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, we usually have live musics, live musics, live music Fridays and Saturday night. Uh, food trucks usually three times a week, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday. Um, we'll do paint and plays where somebody comes in with a canvas and a theme and you get to paint, which is pretty cool too. Yeah. So lots of different things that we do. Um, we're also involved with fundraising and trying to get um, support for businesses in the community that need continuing support. Mm-hmm. Um, have you um, done any like partnerships with like local businesses and stuff? Yeah, so we've actually bought fruit from a local farm. Uh, we use cantaloupe from them, so that was a good partnership. We partnered up with a um, tea vendor in Greensboro for one of our, our beers. Uh, we've partnered with Savage Coffee, uh, Savage Roasters over in Kernersville. Um, they're a veteran-owned roast. I guess it's a roastery. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you call it, <laughs> a place that you know, roast coffee, but, um, and we've partnered up with other breweries as well Mm -hmm. and made collaboration beers. So, you know, community is a big part of what we're, we're about. Um, when my wife and I decided to open downtown high point, that was the, that was the reason Yeah, we knew that with high point struggling to kind of reinvent themselves uh, we knew that we couldn't just talk about it. We needed to invest ourselves in it, you know, do something about it. You can complain all day long, but unless you're willing to do something, nothing's going to change. So that was that was the impetus for us going downtown, but also our desire to give back to the community that has given to us for so many years. Yeah, and what do you see for the future of Paddle Tail? Kind of go off of that. You talked about downtown High Point, everything like that. Yeah, um, it's hard to know where High Point is going to go. Uh, We know that we want to be a uh, destination in High Point. We want people to come to High Point to try our beer. Uh, We know if we start to distribute, it's going to be just that much easier for people to get the beer. We understand that, but then they won't get to experience downtown High Point. They won't get to experience the brewery. They won't get to experience our staff who I think our, our staff are amazing people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we really want to try to drive people into the brewery and also downtown High Point. I mean, if we get people downtown High Point, we can talk about what's happening and hopefully get them to go out and explore and come back and bring their friends as well. I love that. You're not just caring about like your sole business. It's like the community that you're in. That's I think it's really important for a lot of businesses to do, especially like a local business. You can't just think about yourself. You have to think about where you are and the people around you. I'll try. Yeah. Well, you're doing an amazing job. So um, to kind of wrap this up, like um, how can people find you and how can um, people support you? Yeah. So um, we, of course, are on all social media platforms uh, with the exception of Twitter. Um, We have a website. PaddleTopBrewingCo.com. You can pretty much Google us and you'll be able to find us. Um, If you're downtown, we're right next to Truist 
across the street from Bank of America, a uh, block over from the new stadium, block and a half from the Stock and Grand Food Hall. Uh, so we're pretty centrally positioned and, uh, you know, it's a very walkable area as well. So if you wanted to walk from uptown down to us, it's less than a mile. So it's, it's an easy area to traverse for sure. Well, thank you for coming on our podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That was so interesting hearing from Dave on our podcast. I was so happy he was actually able to come onto campus and record here with us in the podcast studio. And I can't wait to brew some beer after spring break in a few weeks. I know. I'm so grateful that he um, brought us a few cans, even though we got to try some. We got to take some home now. It was a really great experience to record with him. Yeah, it was awesome. So, Kendra... What are you drinking this weekend? It is a Friday. It is. Um, I think I'm going to be drinking uh, highballs this weekend. Um, I love the ones that come in a can by Jim Beam. They're like ginger um, ginger ale and stuff, and it's so good. That's so, awesome. yeah, that's what I'm going to have. I'm probably going to order a highball at the bar. Yum. What are you drinking, Abby? Well, since he did leave a few of his cans with us, um, I actually do like IPAs, so I think I'll just stick to the paddled self. Yum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yum, that sounds so good. Maybe we should go there for his, like, trivia night next week. Oh, I totally agree. I'm down. Let's Amazing. do it. Okay, well, that's all we have for you today, so come back next time and have another drink with us from the top shelf.